study this evening begins in seventeenth verse that you see on the board in the outline. Verse seventeen through twenty-four will be Paul's uh, first uh, discussion this evening. The call of God. Let me read verse seventeen through twenty-four. Then we'll go back and discuss it a little bit. But as God has distributed to every man, as the Lord has called every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all churches. Is any man called being uncircumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any man in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Because circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called... Uh, in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price, let ye uh, be not ye the servants of men. Rather let every man wherein he is called uh, therein abide with God. Now concerning, uh, that's as far as we want to go. That's as far as he goes in his discussion of this call of, God, the call of God. He's talking about when you obeyed the gospel, when God called you and you, into your obedience uh, to his word. And so, uh, keep in mind as we're studying this that we don't know the questions that was asked Paul, but we know that uh, beginning in chapter 1, um, chapter 7, verse 1, if you look at it there in your Bible, Paul said, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me. And so it makes it pretty clear. We can understand that here's some things that Paul, they wrote Paul and asked him about his advice about these things. And he's answering them. It would be nice if we had a list of the questions that they asked out of the background of the lifestyle in First in the Corinthian city. Because we know how ungodly it is according to history. Uh, when they had 4,500 priestesses walking the streets on a, re on a, a daily basis, uh, uh, seducing men to perform sex acts on an altar to the goddess Deanna, the goddess of sex. Now that was one of the things that they was plagued with along with all of the confusion of the religious world as it converged their Corinth from the east and the west as them trade ships went through there. And so it would sure be nice to have a copy of the questions. We don't really need them. Uh, we're studying Paul's uh, uh, apostolic uh, uh, authoritative word here as to his answers to them. And so, beginning in verse 17 through 24, he's dealing with the call of God. 
Now, right here in the middle of this argument on marriage, uh, uh, he throws in an argument about our call. Because everything relates to the call, doesn't it? I mean, that's where our life started. Uh, and so Paul is relating to these Christians at Corinth their call. And the call relates to everything else. And so that's the beginning point. Uh, what does this have to do with my Christian call? The call I have is to serve God. The call I have to be His. The call I have to salvation. That's what the call is. It's a call to serve. It's a call uh, to salvation. So what does this discussion on divorce, really on marriage and divorce, what does it have to do with the call? Well, there's a basic principle stated in verse 17. Look at it there. He says, live out your Christian calling in the situation it found you. All right, now according to human philosophy, there's no telling where the mind went as to what you needed to do if God called you. Oh, you need to, if you're circumcised, you need to go somewhere and see a doctor and get uncircumcised. And if you're uncircumcised, oh, you need to be circumcised. And Paul's going to make that as an illustration of the fact that a man needs to uh, uh, recognize that God picks him up at a certain station in life and that's where he needs to stay. He don't need to change anything except repent of what's evil, that's true. Uh, but that's the basic principle of all basic principles in regard to our call to serve or our call to salvation. That is to live out your Christian calling of, of uh, salvation in the situation that it found you in. That's what he's talking about. Now, he doesn't mean immoral. He's not telling these people to just continue in the state that they were in immorally. But there's things you can't change. If you're a slave, care not for it. But rather take advantage of it. If, if, if you can get freed, well, more power to you. Uh, if you can't, then rejoice in the fact that you serve God as a slave. All right. So he's not talking about immoral lifestyle. He's already said uh, all things are lawful. In whatsoever lawful conditions a situation has found you in. And as, uh, now he's going to use two illustrations. But he's already used one. If God found you called, uh, if God found you called married to a believer, uh, where are you supposed to live your Christian calling? Married to a believer. We've already looked at that in the first 17 verses. If he found you called married to an unbeliever, what are you supposed to do about your Christian calling? Married to an unbeliever. But what if he doesn't want to let you do that? Then God tells him to get out uh, so that you can do what? Live your Christian calling in a better environment, a peaceful environment. Isn't that what we studied last week? Uh, that's 
how this relates. He says, verse 17, Nevertheless, each one should uh, retain the place in life that the Lord uh, assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule that I lay down in all the churches, Paul says. All right, being a Christian doesn't change your racial or your social or your marital standing. Doesn't change that. Uh, doesn't give you a right to walk off from a, a, a mate, a husband or a wife, just because you're a Christian and they didn't obey the gospel. You'll have to live with that. We have to live with things that's not pleasant. And that's his advice here. Uh, your Christian calling doesn't change that. And so if you were called, uh, verses 18 and 19 states, if you were called a Gentile, if you were a Gentile when you were called by God, where are you going to live your Christian calling? In the Gentile world, because you're a Gentile. All right, if you were called in the circumcised, that's the Jew Jewish world, where are you going to live your Christian life calling? In the circumcised world. That's verse 18 and 19 again. So don't let anybody put on you the demand to become racially something else. A person can remain what he is racially. Matter of fact, he should. You glorify God regardless of what race you are or what circumstances you you come to God in. You can serve God. You can worship God even if you're a slave to another man. <laughs> so, uh, uh, the gospel does not call for Arabs to become uh Caucasians doesn't call for that. Matter of fact, it would be stupid to do that. I mean, the Christian calling does not demand that the northerner become a southerner, speaking in American terms. We understand that because of the Civil War. I think we do. I think that we're old enough, some of us here, to remember the history of the Civil War, the North and the South. Now, you need to do that if you go to the mission work that's true. Uh, but now he's saying this is the background of marriage. He's saying you can live the Christian calling in any marital situation that you want to discuss. Married, unmarried, virgin, widow, Christian, uh, Christian marriage, non-Christian marriage, Divorced, homosexual, or lesbian, you can live the Christian calling. Now, homosexual can't uh, can't live in that uh, practice. No, he's got to repent. He's got to cut that off. But uh, he has an affinity for men. And that doesn't go away just because he obeyed the gospel. That doesn't give him license to practice such an ungodly thing. Uh, but 
Remember the, the sixth chapter and about verse 10. One of you men turn over there that can read loud, and I want you to read that for us. I believe it's verse 10 because Paul said about their, uh, when they were called into God, they were, uh, uh, they were homosexuals, they were lesbian, they were all messed up in many different ways that he mentions. But then he says, now you are washed, you're clean. But he reminds them of their past. And so in this letter to the Corinthians, Paul is talking to homosexuals. He's talking to lesbians. I didn't want to get into this, but I have to because that's who he's writing to. And we need to understand what Paul's saying here, that a homosexual can't practice homosexuality and be pleasing to God, but he can live with it. The same as you live with your uh, desire for women, if you're a man, uh, or vice versa. The homosexual can live, even though he has to fight this desire like we do, uh, if we're not married. Uh, he fights that desire, but that passion, but the psychologist says that there's nothing he can do about it. I mean, it's, it's hard to uh, erase that. Now, I don't understand that, but that's what what we're looking at here. Paul's writing to these kind of people. Now, who's got that? those two verses? Nine and ten. What, what book? Uh, First Corinthians. First Corinthians, the sixth chapter. We just read it here about two weeks ago. Verse ten. Well, what is it? Uh, talk, he talks about what they were and what they, the fact that they've now been washed and cleansed. Read those two verses. Nine says, Do you not know that the wicked not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, were you impressed with the ugliness of their past life? But look at, look at their new life. He says, uh, now you're washed, you're cleansed, you're purified. And so he's writing to people that are of that background, homosexuals, lesbians. Now, as ugly as that is, we have to deal with it here because Paul's dealing with it. And we have to understand what he's trying to tell them. If you're a homosexual and, uh, and, you're, and God calls you and you answer that call of salvation that call of service to God, then naturally you have to give up something that's ungodly, like homosexuality or lesbianism. But salvation is still available for the homo. That is his point. You don't need to worry about that, and a homosexual would do that, wouldn't he? I mean, he'd live his life in silence, and if he was faithful to the Lord, he would he would be abstained already from homosexual practices, but still in all, he would have that craving, just like you do if you're a heterosexual for a woman. You have that all of your life. You, you can't get rid of it. It's there. And God placed it in you.
I I don't like the seventh chapter. I tell you, <laughs> trying to explain all of these uh, things. Now that doesn't mean that you can continue in homosexual relationships. Uh, but there's brothers and sisters in Christ around this world that uh, will be homosexuals and lesbians until the day they die. I hope you got a hold of that. Uh, they keep that under the same control as I do as a heterosexual. Now, whether you like that or not, that's true. Their desires are no different than mine, except theirs is perverted, but the desire is the same. The lust is the same. Now, I feel sorry for little boys that may be violated when they're young and these things are built in them. I can't change that and neither can they. But they can obey the gospel. And they can be washed as Paul told them they were over there in the 6th chapter. What was it? Verse 9 and 10? They were clean. They were purified. And so a Christian has to know where he stands with God. And here's a homosexual here uh, that needs, at Corinth, that needs to know where he stands with God. And these other people, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, and the slave, they need to know that their station is, God allows them to live in the station they were called in. If you were called uncircumcised, well, don't worry about it. If you were called circumcised in circumcision, don't worry about it. If you call a slave, care not for it. But if you can be get out of it, well, fine. And so Paul's getting down to the nitty-gritty of living everyday life at Corinth. <coughs> Paul said these fellows used to be homosexual by practice. And I understand from the psychologists, and I'm not asking anybody to believe this. I'm just going to tell you what I've, uh, I've found out from the psychologist. Now, whether you put any stock in it, it's up to you. Uh, uh, but anyway, the psychologist says that you don't get over homosexuality any more than you get over being heterosexual. And that's what I said a minute ago, and I don't mind repeating it again. My desire that God put in me as a man is to desire a woman. I can't erase that. I can't do anything about it. It's there. But if I'm not married, it's illegal. It's ungodly for me to mess around with a woman sexually, to touch a woman uh, sexually, uh, out of marriage. And so it is with a homosexual. But, you know, in society, <laughs> we... We label some sins greater than others, and we look upon a homosexual, oh man, that just ain't no hope for him. Paul said it was. He just told the Corinthians in the sixth chapter, we just read it, that they were some of them. 
He was calling on them to remember who they really were when they when they received the calling from God. And so now he's assuring them that uh, they can't practice certain things, but uh, like homosexuality, but they can be a Christian even though they have these desires. We fight those desires, don't we? We talked about what the Lord said. Whosoever looks on the woman to lust after has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Matthew 6. Remember that? And we talked about that. The reality is well, I don't know how to say this. Uh, the reality is that I have to that I admire a good-looking woman that's good-looking to me. I admire her. Uh, that doesn't mean that I uh, want to take her outside of marriage, but I do admire her. I may admire her looks along with her abilities and what have you, but still there's that passion for womanhood, if you follow me. Ain't nothing I can do about it. But like we discussed, uh, the Lord... The language he used in Matthew 6, whosoever looks upon a woman, the word look upon in the Greek is not just glance by and seen her, you know. Uh, it's a word, and I forget the exact meaning, but you look it up yourself. It means to study, to seethe over, to lust after. That's the language that God used. But my point, Paul's point is, that even though you were a homosexual, you can't practice that anymore, but you still have access to salvation in God, even though you have a passionate desire for, for the companionship of a man. I don't even like saying that, but... <laughs> I just assume somebody else teaches this, really. <laughs> but that's the facts of the case. All right. Uh, so, whether you're homosexual or heterosexual, you have to learn to control it. The same way the heterosexual controls his by the power of God. That's the only way you can control it. Paul says in verse... Did uh, did someone say something? Oh, okay. So, uh, Paul says in verse 20, Each one should remain in the station which he was in which God called him. So don't try to change your racial circumstances. Don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. You can't raise a... Uh, a single rational or a rational circumstance in which you cannot live as a Christian. That's the whole point. You can live your Christian calling in any racial situation. I've said it twice now that I ought to get it across. No matter what you're racially, you are racially or nationally, you can live your Christian calling. That's the idea. No matter what you're uh, you are maritally, uh, to take it back to that earlier discussion of Paul's, 
You can live your Christian calling there. Uh, whether you're married to an unbeliever or you're married to a believer, you can still live your Christian calling in that situation. Now, Paul already said that if the unbelieving wants to depart, God would just assume he did depart. Because why? And we've got to remember this. Because he called us to peace. You remember Jesus saying, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives it, give I unto you. Okay, so your Christian calling is whatever you are, maritally or sexually. That will affect it, won't it? It sure will. But you can live it there. You don't have to change it. You don't have to, all of a sudden, if a guy was a homosexual, not having men uh, appeal to you anymore. You can't do that. They're going to appeal to you. Now, I can't even understand that, but that's beside the point. But he can, he can understand that, and he needs to be told uh, that otherwise he thinks he can't be a Christian the first time he looks and lusts after a man. It's going to come. You know, we talked about what Jesus said about lusting after a woman, and we related it to a bird flying over your head. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from making a nest up there, and that's the whole point. You don't seethe over it. You don't fester over it. You don't uh, let it blossom. Well, now, if you and I can remain Christian after we have looked and lusted after a woman, homosexuals can remain Christians after he has looked and lusted after a man. Now, I didn't say that. He's got a right to that man anymore. I didn't say that he has a right to that man anymore than I've got a right to a woman that I'm not married to. But can I live the Christian life no matter what my marital and sexual calling is uh, on or place is? Yeah, I can. Matter of fact, uh, it will help me to do so sometimes. Now, we don't have any problem when we're talking about Jew or Gentile. But isn't it amazing how we have uh, problems when we apply that to sexual situations. Now I'm not uh, justifying anything, all right? I'm just saying that a man can be justified there, not, not as a sinner. Uh, Paul's already said that that fellow ought not to what? Touch a woman. He said that in verse one. Can this guy that is single who shouldn't touch a woman and by the way, shouldn't touch a man either on the other side of the fence. Remember what that word touch meant, means? It means physical stimulation leading to sexual embrace. And I've never found a better, trans, a, a, better ex, a better definition of that word than that. Not to touch a woman to, because it's a physical stimulation. Uh, that leads eventually, over a period of time, a few minutes or so, it leads to sexual embrace. 
And that's not being taught in the church. Probably because there's too many people like me that's teaching that just wants to skip over this and not talk about it. So, uh, can he live his Christian calling and not his background? Yes, he can. Uh, he just can't live it practicing his immorality. But can he live it in that environment? Well, Lot was called a just man, and he lived where? Sodom and Gomorrah. And his soul was vexed. But he could live there. He wasn't a, he wasn't a sec, homosexual. That ain't what I'm saying at all. I'm saying, can you live there in a situation like that? Can he live it with that set of circumstances that he's been dealt with when he comes to Christ? Yes, he can. With the power of God. Is there any set of circumstances in the mind, in the mindset of man, that we can't be Christians in the midst of? No, there's not. Uh, there's no set of circumstances like that. If he lived there long enough, maybe uh, that mindset will change. And if he does, and it uh, does, and it doesn't, if he keeps it under control by the power of God, just like you keep yours under control by the power of God, has he lived his Christian calling? Yes, he has. He's lived it. And that's why you need to read it back up there, and, and not just what you read here. Now, now then he makes the illustration of slavery in verse 21 through 24. Let's read those verses and then we'll come back and discuss them. 21 through 24. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Uh, ye are bought with a price. Uh, uh, be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man uh, wherein he is called therein abide with God. Now then, he makes the illustration of slavery in verse 21 through 24. It just read. He said, if you were a slave when you were called by God, third person imperative there in that text, don't let it trouble you. However, if you can gain your freedom, do so. First person imperative. For since the slave is the Lord's, He's the Lord's free man. Since the free man is the Lord's slave, you've been bought with a price. Don't become slaves of men. As responsible uh, to God, you should remain in the station God has called you to. There always has to be these judgment, uh, these uh, judicial decisions made in our own minds about who we serve, don't we? To make sure we don't serve men, because it's very easy. There's a lot of pressures put on us, aren't they? Uh, 
you get into a job like politicians do, and you're compelled and constrained on occasions to lie, to deceive. Uh, that's just one illustration of many that we could come up with in life's way. And so Paul just says very, uh, very generally, don't be a slave to man. Don't, uh, uh, your service is to God because you're bought with a price. So whatever the situation you've received, what you have re uh, received the Christian calling, and I'm not talking about immoral situations now, you cannot continue to do your immorality. That's understood. But it doesn't lift you up out of your social. Uh, it doesn't lift you up out of your marital, your racial, or your social situation. Uh, it leaves you just like you were married, just like you were racially, just like you were socially. In regard to the body, in regard to the nation, in regard to your employment, it hasn't changed a thing, has it? Your obedience to God when you were called. But you can live a Christian life right there. That's Paul's point. So evidently, these people, uh, you can see, have written him and asked him about this problem. Well, what about this guy, Can he, in this situation? Uh, can he still serve God? Well, certainly he can. He may not have the abilities of another man or to offer or whatever it is, but whatever station you're called in, uh, God expects you to serve him and not man. God expects you uh, to repent of the evil that he saved you from. If you're a homosexual, you've got to quit it. But you can still be a person who has a passion for men. <laughs> All right, let's get off of that. <laughs> Go a little further here. <laughs> Try to get off that, right? Goodness. So he's encouraging them that if uh, things don't get better, you can still live up to a Christian calling. That's how this segment relates here in his letter. If the situation with you, you maritally and sexually is not, is not perfect, it's not what you think it ought to be. Matter of fact, if it stinks, you can still do what? Remain right there and live up to your Christian calling. It's because your husband may be a rascal and won't obey the gospel and, uh, and uh, is ugly in many ways. That doesn't give you a right to leave him. You can, uh, you can still be a Christian in that situation. So you remain there is what Paul's advice was to him. You don't have to become a hermit. You don't have to separate uh, from that pagan lady who is uh, your wife and she's going down and offering sacrifices and her body as a temple prostitute. You don't have to divorce her. You can live your Christian calling right there. Now that's in the city of Corinth, all right? Uh, I like uh, uh, to live in this book right where he is and not in the ideal. Sometimes we preach from the ideal rather than the reality of the 
situations in which Paul writes in this particular situation. So, uh, so uh, uh, we like to live in the book right where he is and not the ideal situation that we sometimes would like. Would like. The word called here in the text is primarily the way of describing conversion. I think you've already saw that. Now it comes to you in a given social, national, and marital circumstance. You're in one of them circumstances when you were called. The situation is irrelevant. It has nothing to do with your Christianity. It's irrelevant if you're married to an unbeliever. It's irrelevant uh, in, if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, as Paul described. The thing relevant is the call. Uh, the situation is like you and I live. Uh, 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 life is not relevant. Uh, so it really doesn't matter. Can I live my life with uh, an ungodly woman? If I'm married to her, if I married her, and that's how she turned out to be, and she never obeyed the gospel, I'm still responsible to God to honor that marriage. If she wants to leave or he wants to leave uh, the ungodly person, then God says, do it, because that would please me. Get out of there, because I called him to peace. Of course, that's in our previous study last week. Now, I'd like to read to you the close of the book of Habakkuk on the circumstances that we find ourselves in life. Uh, Though the fig trees shall not flourish, and neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olives shall fail, and the fields shall yield no food, the flocks shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in Jehovah. Now you see the picture here? Here's a picture of a man who's called by God in a time of Israel when they were being cursed by no food, no uh, no productivity from the trees and the vines. And he says, yet will I rejoice in Jehovah. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Jehovah, the Lord, is my strength. And he maketh my feet like hinds feet, and will make me to walk upon the high places. Now, I don't know whether you've ever studied about hinds feet, but you ever seen a little calf just born? The little fella just kicking and a bucking and a running and a jumping. That's the way the joy of the Lord works on us the same way. We rejoice and we have a joy that's unspeakable. Well, anyway, here's a picture of a guy who accepts the circumstances that he cannot change. He can't make the olive tree produce. He can't make the, the fields full of uh, herds of uh, sheep and goats or whatever. He can't do that. But he said, here's what I can do, and here's what I will do, and here's what I need to do. 
I will rejoice in Jehovah. The world isn't over just because you got problems and born into circumstances that are pretty ugly. He said, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Jehovah, the Lord, is my strength. And he maketh my feet like hinds feet and will make me to walk upon my high places. God don't lead us down in the valley of drudgery, does he? Isaiah 40 says, They that wait on Jehovah, they'll mount up on wings of eagles. And in doing so, they'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. They can travel through the land of trouble, the political scene, the whatever scene it is, social scene or whatever. They can travel through uh, in times of hunger or whatever you want to name it. Because they're rejoicing in Jehovah. Well, that's the close of the book of Habakkuk on the circumstances that Paul described here. Uh, so uh, the circumstances don't matter. They are irrelevant. Because Paul said, I can do all things at all times, in all places, through him who strengtheneth me. Philippians, what is it? Philippians 2.13? I didn't look it up. Now, if I believe that I can do, uh, uh, can become all things to all men, if not, they have to com uh, conform to me. That's true. The reason we don't uh, become all uh, things to all men is because we think we're, we've got the only good position. We want everybody to conform to us. How would I illustrate that? I wear cowboy boots and a vest on occasions. I wear a Stetson. I think I was born in one because I've never known a time when I didn't have them. But nevertheless, I have no right to expect my brother to dress like that. And I have some brothers that I think that are very dear to me that doesn't like cowboy boots, that don't like Stetsons, don't like vests. They dress a lot different than I do. That doesn't mean I don't love them. So I can't expect people to conform to my way of life. And neither should they expect me to conform to theirs. And so we live in circumstances that the only thing we can rejoice in is Jehovah. We live in a hell of a mess down here in America, don't we? Don't we? Politically, socially. We live in a hell of a mess. We've made it. I mean, mankind has made it. But yet, can we not rejoice in Jehovah? Yeah. Yeah. Yea, though I walk through the valley, wherein is the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Rod and staff, direction, leadership. We walk with God. We cry unto God as we walk with God. We falter and fall and fail many times over. But he hears our cry. He sees our tears of regret. 
And he's right there like a father. Now, I don't know whether the prodigal son had tears or not. The text don't say. But I imagine that boy, after realizing what he gave up, what he lost, and the fact that he might go home and find a place working for his father, because he said, my father's servants eat better than I do. I just imagine he had tears, don't you? The father didn't need to see the tears. He knew the boy was coming home. And I, I love that story because if it were you and me, we would probably be over there at the front door of our house waiting for that boy to make his journey up to the house. And we got our arms folded and our teeth all tight. And we're waiting for him to get up there so we can read him off. What are you doing up here, son? You come back to mooch off the old man? There's many ways of hatred that we can approach that. But how did God approach it? He saw that boy afar off, way off in the distance. He knew that boy wasn't coming home to party. He'd been partying with all of the whores, it said. He's coming home. And the father was so joyful that he ran out and fell on that boy's neck and kissed him. Put a ring on his finger, a sign of ownership, and a robe, a red robe, a scarlet robe around his shoulders, a sign of royalty, because only royalty wore the, the, the crimson garments. They were expensive, and that's the idea. And he's so excited the boys come home, he didn't demand of that boy anything. He didn't say, now you confess up to what you did. The boy did. He said, I've sinned, Father. Yeah, but you've got to mention every single one of them. Don't miss a one or I ain't going to accept you. And that's the way we interpret 1 John 1, 7. If you confess our sins before God, he, he's faithful just to forgive us of all sin. And then the brethren get down to this, boy, you better not leave a sin out or you're going to hell. That's the way a legalist talks, see because he don't understand grace. But the father showed his grace to that boy. He saw him afar off and ran out and fell on his neck and kissed him. Put a robe on him and a ring, hollered back and told his servants, kill the fattest calf. We're gonna have a banquet because my son has come home. That's the way God greets us. When we die, as well as when we obey the gospel. That's another, that's something else, though, isn't it? <laughs> All right. <clears throat> but sometimes we get to thinking that men ought to conform to the way we live and the choices we make and, and everything. If we drive a Ford, we don't understand somebody, and we're kind of nasty toward anybody that drives a Chevrolet. That was a test. I was looking around to see if there was any reaction. <laughs> Sean's back there going like this. <laughs> uh, and so this is the basis, the concept here, of a calling being uh, livable in whatever the marital or the racial or the social circumstances 
The calling <coughs> finds me in, regardless of what that calling is, that I can live my calling cheerfully and holy and joyfully before God right there in a prison cell, <coughs> in a deformed body, in the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean, in the belly of a fish, a whale, a sea monster, Wherever I can find myself called by God, then I can live my calling there. Jonah did, didn't he? <laughs> so the calling is primarily, that Paul talks about here, is primarily in working out all these tough things that life gives us. You know, life is not very good unless... You have that abundant life that Christ gave us. Our time is up. We still got a long way to go, don't we? It's a big chapter. We could skip it? No, I said, no, no, I said it's a big chapter. <laughs> no, we'll go ahead and finish it, but... Uh, <laughs> we kind of got over a big hurdle for me this evening. Because I, I discussed with someone, I won't say who, about whether I ought to even present that or not. But my conscience got the best of me because Paul told them Corinthians that that's what they were. And so he's writing this letter to them who were those things. Homosexuals, lesbians. And so you have to deal with it because he's talking to them too about the, their, their circumstances. So you're called uh, being a homosexual. You gotta give that up, you gotta quit it. But nevertheless, you can be you can be saved and serve God, even though you have these passions the rest of your life. Just like the heterosexual has. Of course, when you get as old as I am, somewhere it flew away. <laughs> All right, thank you.